Hey crew, before we get started today, I just wanted to say that I hope you and your loved ones are healthy and staying occupied as you continue to social distance and stay at home. I know it's tough, but it really is making a difference. And in the meantime, I hope that you enjoy episodes of Enterprising Individuals and all the shows on the Just Enough Trope Network, which will continue to come out during the quarantine. And you might even see our output increase during these months. We've actually started a new side feature on the network called Co-Videos, where I'm joined by Mikan Hana, my co-host on the Just Enough Trope podcast, to talk about the classic and modern films we are crossing off our lists while being cooped up. She's got a list of standbys that she's never seen, and I've got a whole bunch of weird movies I want to finally get to, and we're recording our reactions to them and letting you listen in. We're coming out now with new installments about two or three times a week, so subscribe to our show feed at Just Enough Trope to take that journey with us. In the meantime, I'm keeping busy, mostly with network business. You know, it's weird. I always felt that I didn't get out enough, and I felt like I was something of a couch potato, and now that I can't go out, I don't want to brag, but I think I'm handling it pretty well. Uh, Not much has changed for me day to day. I really miss movies, though, Uh, movies in the theater. And there's a local burger joint that I I really like. Of course, I can't go now. Um, I can order from them, but I just really like going there and hanging out. How are you dealing with the isolation? Talk to us. Let us know on social media, on Facebook and Twitter, and jump into our Discord and sound off. Let us know what you're doing to stay busy. We'll maybe have a supplemental episode in the near future talking about how we're all dealing with being cooped up and how Star Trek is helping us with that. I've heard that the current situation, that is, dealing with a crisis like this, is similar to dealing with grief or a loss, as outlined in the Kubler-Ross model, the five stages of grief. And I think that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'm experiencing a personal loss currently, specifically the loss of baseball, my favorite sport. Opening day was March 26th, and of course, it came and went with no play ball heard. However, I found some relief in getting to talk about an episode of Star Trek that's all about baseball. Ella Pearson of the Generations Geek podcast joined me recently to talk about Take Me Out to the Holosuite, a charming and heartwarming episode of DS9 in which our crew gets their asses handed to them by a bunch of Vulcans. But that was never the point. Vulcans can never love the game the way we do, and I hope you love the episode. And if you do, why not join our crew by going to patreon.com forward slash E-I-S-T-P-O-D. We've got extra content, episode recaps, live shows, and more. And with the extra time, thanks to social distancing, I'm planning on adding a bunch more content, including daily updates about Star Trek news and my Trek thoughts. Just go to patreon.com forward slash E-I-S-T pod. And if you're not looking for a commitment, but you like the show and you want to help out, We've got a coffee as well, you know, K-O-F-I. You can toss us a buck or two on coffee by searching for Just Enough Trope. I'll leave a link to our coffee in the show notes. Everything you contribute helps us keep the lights on here, and it means more content coming your way. And if you really like the show, tell a friend. That's it for me. Enjoy my talk with Ella. Keep your eye on the ball. And with that, let's get underway.
Hailing frequencies open, and welcome to Enterprising Individuals, the Star Trek discussion podcast that boldly goes into excruciating detail about the series, characters, and stories of the Star Trek universe. I'm your host, Aaron Coker, a.k.a. Caliban, and 350 years of human advancement in science, technology, and international statecraft, and we still can't figure out the infield fly rule. <laughs> I'm joined on this episode by Ella Pearson. Ella is one half of the hosting team behind the podcast Generations Geek, a more or less family-friendly celebration of geekdom. She's also the co-host of Discoverage, a live recap and discussion podcast covering new episodes of Discovery and Picard on CBS All Access. Ella, welcome to Enterprising Individuals. Thank you. It's great to have you here. A permission to come aboard granted. Today we'll be talking about Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite, the fourth episode of the seventh season of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Baseball is as American as apple pie. It's America's national pastime. But what if there's no more America? What if the people of Earth put aside their religious, racial, and political differences and united the world under a truly democratic Earth Republic? What then? Would there still be baseball? Not according to Star Trek, which has baseball's last World Series taking place in 2042, right at the apex of Buck Bokai's career, too. Bummer. Trek posits that the world of the future would move on from such a deliberately paced game of esoteric ceremony. But what would replace it? Spring balls for old men, and Parisi's squares is for suicidal ones, and the less said about Sunkatse, the better. But don't cry into your Cracker Jacks just yet, because some denizens of the 24th century, American or no, still appreciate a sport that's about challenging yourself, having heart, and enjoying a sunny day outside. And death to the opposition. But we'll talk about that a little later in the show. First, Ella, welcome to the show. It's great to finally have you on a regular episode of Enterprising Individuals. Yeah, it's great to be here. I'm excited. Uh, can you tell us a little more about Generations Geek, if our listeners are not familiar with your podcast? Yeah, um, Generations Geek is a more or less uh, family-friendly podcast that I do with my dad. And um, we started it when I was, I think, 14, and I'm 22 now. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> it's been a trip. And um, yeah, we uh, watch stuff together, all things nerdy pop culture, um, and then talk about it and talk about like experiencing those things, um, across generations. We were, uh, yeah, I was talking to your dad, uh, on, uh, for another episode, uh, earlier in the week. And we were talking about how, uh, when you first came on the show and you first started it, you know, you were younger and it was more of him saying like, Hey, here's something that I like, here's something that I've enjoyed in my fandom. And what do you think, uh, going towards, now that you're older, uh, you really uh, determining a lot of the content as well. It's not just like him showing you stuff. It's like you're both kind of suggesting things now. Yeah, I definitely I definitely talk a lot more, too. I think it was um, <laughs> took some getting used to, I think, when I was younger to have um, opinions <laughs> speaking of the mic. But um, right. Yeah. yeah, I don't know when this episode uh, when this episode of Generations Geek will come out. But um, I just uh, we watched The Hunger Games the other day because I was like, we always do things that you've seen at least twice before me. And like, it's like, you know, everything already. And like tonight, like, let's watch The Hunger Games and then we can do an episode on it later. And it'll be like, I know everything. And he was like, ooh. And then we watched it and he liked it. So it's That's fun. so great. That's great that uh, <laughs> you're you're the captain now. You're in charge. Yeah, exactly. I like that. I'm not sure that I like I read them eight times in middle school. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, actually. <laughs> in this part of the movie, it's not like the book. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we've talked about this, but do you want to talk about how you first uh, discovered Star Trek and became a fan? Sure. 
Yeah. Um, basically, well, my dad tells the story. Like um, when I was very, very small, I was just like, what is this Star Trek thing that you're always talking about? Like I had no idea. But I think I was like three, um, which I don't remember that. Um, I do remember, I think I remember the first time that I did watch Star Trek, but I'm not sure because I was, I would have been so small. He showed me the animated series okay, first. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think I remember the first time because I think it was the episode where um, there, there's that gigantic cat. Yeah, right. Cat's ball. Around, yeah. And I was just like, oh, this is sick. This is, there's a huge cat. They're like in space. <laughs> like it was like the, it was like ch- checked all my, all my boxes. And yeah, just progressed from there. See, that's funny because I was terrified of the giant cat episode when I was a kid and I oh, loved really? cats. Yeah, there's just something about me. I was kind of a, I was as a kid and uh, anything <laughs> that was coded to be scary, I was immediately terrified of. I remember when I was young, I had, there's a character uh, in the Spider-Man mythos called the man wolf who's he's, it's kind of mm. dumb. He's like a astronaut who goes to the moon and when he comes back, he turns into a werewolf. And I had a, uh, a, a record that went along with a storybook. Um, now it'd just be YouTube videos or something now, but like you'd play the record while you sort of read the storybook. And whenever the wolf showed up, he was like, Ooh, like did this whole, you know, werewolf howl thing. <laughs> and that was it for me. Like records off, have to run and go hide. I could never finish. And my mom's like, what's wrong with this kid? I bought him this record. He's not listening to it. So like, Oh my God, that's so funny. Well, so when cat's pot, which is supposed to be very, uh, you know, yeah. spooky and skeletons and dungeons yeah. and stuff. I, yeah. I was, I was totally terrified by that. That's so funny. My dad says that I was um, terrified of the blue meanies in the yellow submarine. Oh. Like I would have like nightmares, <laughs> really? like horrified. Yeah. Laugh. And I have no memory of it. Um, but yeah, but then I would watch like Star Trek and I, you know, I would watch like, I think I watched the Lord of the Rings when I was in like fourth grade. Nothing. Huh. Not scared. <laughs> <laughs> that and uh, and the children children shall lead uh, the one with uh, Melvin Belly. You know when he's uh, coming in in the pool cover and he's uh, telling the kids like, "Oh, follow me, and we're gonna kill all the adults." <laughs> that really scared me for some reason. His face melts off oh, at the end. Terrifying. So, do you have like a favorite Star Trek series? I don't know. I feel when people ask me, I'm always. I feel like I always have to be like. Oh, of course, the original series. Like, I feel like I always have to be like, of, I feel like I don't even want that in the consideration. Okay. You, you know, it's like I think about, like, everything that came afterwards. Sure. As to choose a favorite, because that is, like, just, like, pinnacle. I don't know. And then, um, I don't know. I guess it depends. I think it would be either Voyager or Deep Space Nine. Okay. But it's a hard call. Maybe Deep Space Nine. That's interesting um, because I, those are both, you know, advanced Trek shows. I think they definitely knew what they were yeah. doing um, at that time. Um, and those are really great series. Do you have then, let's say, a favorite Star Trek film, either of the TOS or, or TNG films? Oh, Star Trek Four. Star Trek Four. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> okay, sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's um that was God. I think that's still the the most successful like biggest Trek film adjusted for inflation even even today. That was huge at the time. It's because it was good. Nuclear vessels. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that's probably. I think that was probably if I had to pick something. Being somebody who is a little older than you and was sort of submerged in like Trek kind of coming back uh, when it came back with TNG mm-hmm. and having the original series. I think still. Star Trek four is probably my real gateway into it because I could, I remember like when I was really young, when like uh Wrath of Khan came out and I remember that that was kind of a mm-hmm. big deal, 
but just having it be such a crossover thing and having it be funny and it was in the theaters just for for months and months and months and uh yeah and having everybody have, having seen it uh that was definitely probably like a real gateway getting into it for me the nuclear wessels <laughs> and the whales yeah and it's a funny uh episode or a movie too and i always oh, like it's it hilarious yeah i always like it when trek goes funny um I think it's usually pretty successful. I can't think of too many, I don't know, maybe some of the Luxana Troy episodes, but I can't think of too many <laughs> times that Trek tries to go funny and and it really doesn't pay off. I feel like it also helps, um, like, not only with that, but, like, in Star Trek Four, like, the cast had such, a, like, a good rapport with each other oh, by yeah. then. You know what I mean? It's like you have, I mean, we can talk in this episode too, but it's like you have this big cast and then especially after, like, a couple of seasons they're like really in it and so then to watch them like interact on screen like in star trek 4 like william shatner and leonard nimoy on screen in star trek 4 like amazing yeah and and nimoy directing and yeah everybody is just really hitting their stride um and being a little different you know everybody was a little different when the movies came back and they were not Mm -hmm. quite the characters they were on the show but yeah i think that's the real sweet spot of the uh the the tos years although i do Mm -hmm. i'll stand up for five i do like five as well (laughs) five five's another example of them going really broadly comic and it does not work in quite as well yeah they're climbing (laughs) climbing mountains or or whatever yeah Well, uh, other than it being funny, why did you choose this specific episode, Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite, to discuss today? You know, I we talk about, obviously, um, on Discovery, we talk about, like, the themes of Star Trek a lot, and it gets pretty, like, it gets dense. Like, we talk about, me- I, like, Measure of a Man is, like, one of the best Star Trek episodes ever. Hilarious. But it's, like, the, <laughs> yeah, so funny. Um, but the material is, like, heavy. The themes are, like, heavy. Yeah. And so I just kind of decided that I wanted to do an episode that was, like, more like light and funny but like without like some of the more funny episodes it's still like a little like the crew is in danger or something yeah um and so i wanted to do one that was just like a little bit more light some good like character bits and just like really funny and like good and like you can't i like you can't not like this episode i think (laughs) yeah and it it takes place during the uh during the war basically like it's the war is still raging at this point Mm -hmm. but they just take this uh, opportunity to just enjoy themselves and uh, and have fun and not worry about the Dominion or getting your leg blown off or, or whatever, whatever else was going on. Uh, they're just taking a break. I think the really important question is, uh, are you a baseball fan? Like, I'm not like a sports person, yeah. but I'll get like excited about like, I don't know, I guess like if I was going to pick a sport to like play, I think it'd be baseball. Yeah. I like baseball. Yeah. But I'm not like I have no idea what's going on. Like I couldn't even I couldn't tell you one thing about like like actual baseball. <laughs> <laughs> There's every baseball movie. I think that you know this. Uh, it tends to be about like heart and about emotion. Yeah, it's, it's very rare mm-hmm. that you have even a movie like uh, Moneyball, which came out like a little while ago, which was specifically about treating baseball like a like a math equation, like a like a game uh, or a business. Yeah. Um, still has that like, you know, it's about just loving the game and, and, and getting out there. And I feel like that really pairs well with with DS9. I mean, there's a lot of crunchy things in DS9. There's aliens and shapeshifters and, you know, this war and wormholes. Mm-hmm. But I think that it is more about um, heart and about uh, being a family than any other show. Even the show whose theme song is Faith of the Heart, I feel like <laughs> DS9 is about those emotions uh, in the same way that baseball is. 
Yeah, well, and that's like one of the reasons why I think Deep Space Nine was able to like stand out is because they become such a family and then because it's a space station. So you're staying in the same place. Yeah. So people like, you know, people like leave and come back, whatever. But like for them, like they were able to build something like really special, especially by like, well, this is like season seven. So they're really, yeah, they've done a lot. It's about a home and it's about uh, protecting it. Yeah. And you're not just, uh, you you know, the other ships fly to distant parts of the galaxy and and want to go home and think about home. But we're really seeing these people uh, at home. Yeah. Home home plate. Mm-hmm. We brought it back. <laughs> I wanted home to, game. Yeah. I wanted to mention really quick uh, that I was a little weirded out. And I guess I've never really noticed it before. But as I, as I sat down to watch this great and funny and warm episode, the Netflix um, advisory thing comes up. You know, it tells you what's, I think, in the episode, but maybe just in the series mm-hmm. as a whole. And it said, violence, sex, nudity, fear, substances, language, and gore. <laughs> and <I'm> like, <laughs> I remember this episode very differently than the way that they're describing it. <laughs> death to the opposition. Yeah, death to the opposition, murder and everything else. Yeah. Uh, but we don't really get any of that in this episode, which is, of course, Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite. It's the fourth episode of the seventh season. It first aired on October 21st of 1998. It was written by Ronald D. Moore, who... I've, I've run out of things to say about Ronald D. Moore. Uh, he enjoys scotch. I know that. Uh, and he used to smoke, but I hope that he's quit by now. But we've talked about him quite a bit. One of the architects of the entire uh, run of DS9. It was directed by Chip Chalmers, who we've also talked about a lot. He's another veteran director of the Trek franchise. Uh, the in-universe date or star date, we don't know for this episode, uh, which is true of many DS9 episodes. Again, because it's a lot of people just... Being at home, uh, we don't necessarily need to know what point in our mission we are, but we do know that the date is 2375. And your assignment, Ella, if you can, is to give us a 25-word synopsis of Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite. Um, wait, let me think for a second. Baseball game versus Cisco's Academy Nemesis. Do I have to do exactly 25? <laughs> it doesn't have to be exactly 25. <laughs> That, yeah, that's uh, that's a little sparse, but that is uh, really the, the conflict that's at the heart of this thing. I think it's <laughs> it's crazy to think that Cisco, who we never really see much as a young man, you know, we see him as a commander who's entering his the second part of his life, you know, when he comes to DS9. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we don't get any, like, tapestry episodes, really, where we see him, you know, being uh, a, a young roustabout. Uh, but we just get it through the speech of uh, Avery Brooks, you know, halfway through the episode where he talks about this, you know, situation where he's, he was in this bar. Uh, it reminds me of like a scene from Goodwill Hunting or something like that. And he gets in a fight with these with these Vulcans. Um, and it's funny that like, you know, we know that Vulcans experience emotions. They'll just tell you they don't and they have them sort of under control. But I think it's it's a perfect setup for this law this you know 25 year grudge between him and this other guy like if you think about like people that you didn't like in high school or college and whether you would still even care what's going on with them like 25 years later but these guys like (laughs) still hate each other and of course they they're both advancing in their careers and they're getting medals and they've both been promoted to captain and so they still have this opportunity to run into each other and be like you know how's it going not too bad well and i love when vulcans are like just I mean, the, when they're like really just like basically pretending that they don't have emotions, like when they're kind of like <laughs> yeah. wink 
about it like when he first gets in his office and he's like oh yeah i got my medal last month or whatever i'm like oh my god it's it's so good yeah or at the end of the episode when he's like why are you celebrating <laughs> you didn't win yeah. <laughs> uh, just like so petty yeah i learned uh, some interesting facts uh while researching for this episode uh are you familiar with the show fame um the 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 dancing show yeah yeah um i don't I think they might have rebooted it recently. I'm not sure. I, it was a TV yeah. show in the early 80s, and it was based on a 1980 movie of the same name. And for anybody yeah. who has no idea what we're talking about, fame was kind of like Glee in the early 80s. Um, <laughs> it's about like a bunch of – because it takes place at an arts high school in New York, I think. And so it is mm -hmm. uh, students of sort of varying economic backgrounds who are all – learning to dance and learning to, you know, work at their art and craft and then also getting into wacky situations like this one because the plot of this episode is taken almost beat for beat from an episode of Fame called The Old Ball Game, which Ira Stephen Bear wrote when he worked on that show. Oh my God. It was one of his first TV jobs, yeah. Uh, and in the case of Fame, uh, I guess the problem is that our, our team of protagonists are theater kids, so they're not good at sports. Um, <laughs> instead of being on a team of uh, aliens and future humans who don't know anything about baseball. But other than that, it's it's very similar down to having scenes like uh, the bunt scene uh, and a scene where the catcher has to go into the opposing dugout to, to tag the batter because they didn't touch the base. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, so it's environmentally friendly, a little bit of recycling here going on, but uh, yeah. that's his right, I guess. Uh, the plot also bears a striking similarity to the 1976 film The Bad News Bears, where an underdog team has to go up against a much stronger opponent. Yeah, I feel like baseball is so much like it's like about heart and stuff. And so yeah. it's always like, oh, the underdog. So baseball movies are like, oh, it's the underdog team versus yeah. whatever. And then no matter what they're celebrating at the end, you know what I mean? But yeah. it's like, like great. When Keanu Reeves isn't doing like weird out or weirdo sci-fi movies, he's doing, <laughs> he used to do these sports movies. He was in like a movie called The Comebacks or something like that, where he was uh, like a um, a replacement football guy with like a you know crappy team, and I think he was in a reboot of the Bad News Bears uh, maybe ten years ago or so. I can't really picture him playing like a team sport. <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> well, he's a musician, right? He's got um, like, he's got a band. I don't know. Uh, yeah, a band he's called. Got a band? Yeah, he's got a band called Dogstar. So even though he's a guy who, I think he like races motorcycles and he's got like washboard abs, he does seem like a guy that who wouldn't necessarily be uh, coordinated enough to like to play like a team sport. Well, he seems like he'd be like a like a swimmer mm. or like a like track or something. Yeah, and of course he does martial arts too. Yeah. Uh, although I can't imagine him punching somebody for real. Can you? <laughs> Just be <laughs> no, like, no. I'm so sorry, dude. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Max Grudenchik, uh, whom you've met, of course, and interviewed mm -hmm. at Destination Trek, uh, he plays Rom, and Rom is easily the worst player on the Niners. However, if you know anything about Max Grudenchik in real life, he is a huge baseball fan and a skilled player. He apparently had considered going pro when he was younger. So in all I of Rom, yeah, yeah, uh, he loves baseball. I've uh, read a couple interviews with him where he almost exclusively talks about baseball no DS9. <laughs> uh, so in all of the scenes uh, where Rom is playing, uh, Gredenchik, you can see him throwing and batting with his left hand, even though he's right-handed, to make himself seem like a worse player. And I think it's also ironic that Rom is the player that sits out for most of the game uh, when Max is such a good player. That's so smart to just switch his hand 
we looks goofy. Yeah, and I guess you have to kind of keep him out of out of the action of the game too. Um, although he does yeah. get you know the big moment at the end. I also was thinking like it just it must be hard. Like even if you're not like good at baseball, I feel like everyone plays baseball when they're kids. So like like that scene where they're all missing the ball. Yeah, I'm like. Like, if I tried to miss a baseball, but, like, look, also trying to look like I was trying to hit it, like, I don't know if I could miss it. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point about just Americans' familiarity with baseball. And I'm sure, like, you know, yeah. North Americans, Canadians, too, and Mexicans. Yeah. Um, like Chase Masterson, I don't know, she might have been all-conference, you know, at softball when she was in high school. But, yeah, they all have to act like they're completely, completely helpless. <laughs> and aren't they all – isn't Kira, like – a terrorist and a commando aren't they all like military trained you think they'd be a little more coordinated coordinated they're yeah. just yeah they're all elbows uh, out there on the field this is also the first episode where we see rom not wearing the traditional ferengi headdress that he wears uh and speaking of headwear in the episode cisco is wearing a san francisco giants hat and jake is wearing an atlanta braves hat and Sarah Lofton, the actor behind jake his uncle kenny lofton was a major league baseball player who played for both of those teams there's some more baseball facts here. Avery Brooks is wearing number 15, which is a reference to black MLB player Dick Allen, who was a seven-time All-Star and the 1972 American League MVP. And he played primarily for the Philadelphia Phillies in the 60s. Uh, this episode aired the same week as the 1998 World Series, in which the New York Yankees swept the San Diego Padres to win their 24th championship. Damn Yankees. Cork actor Armin Shimmerman remembers the production of this episode very fondly, saying it was fun to have everybody outside at the park. The baseball scenes were shot at Loyola Marymount University's ball field in Los Angeles. However, oh my god, I toured there. Did you really? Yeah, I applied. Oh, they uh, did not want me. <laughs> they, did, they did not want you. <laughs> Maybe if you had some baseball skills. It was too bougie. They had like a. It was like it was not scary, but like it's like on top of this huge hill. But then it's also like gated. So when you get there, they have to like let you in. Like when you're driving, and you have to be like, oh yeah, I'm here for a tour. And then they they, they open the gate. It, it was like a whole thing. Interesting, interesting. I didn't <laughs> uh, I didn't go deep enough to find if there was some connection, like if somebody on the staff went there or something, because. You feel like if yeah, it where was, they chose there. If it was a super bougie college, you think maybe they they charge a lot to uh, for them to shoot there. But uh, yeah, just be go to the state school, go to USC or something. <laughs> uh, Iris Stephen Bear was somewhat disappointed with the episode. Uh, he felt that the script didn't do enough with the Vulcan characters, and the he thought the switch to Rom as the focus uh, near the end of the episode was heartwarming but kind of jarring since it had been about Cisco's conflict with. Uh, with the Vulcan commander and then suddenly we're doing Rom, but it's just a great end for the episode. Yeah. Well, I feel like it makes it more about like, um, like we keep talking about like baseball movies and like baseball, like it's about the heart and it's like family. And yeah. so this episode is about like the do say sign family and like them like playing like ball and having a good time. And so I feel like, I feel like it was like a perfect ending to have Rom because it, it felt like a like it made sense that they would lose because it's a, a team of Vulcans. Yeah, if they rallied and crushed the Vulcans, you wouldn't have the same feel the feeling yeah. of uh, heart and family there. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of the Vulcans, let's talk about the guest star in this episode. Gregory Wagrowski plays Captain Solok in the episode. Uh, he'd also later appear as Cirrus in the third season Enterprise episode, Chosen Realm. And Wagrowski's made a number of guest appearances in various TV shows during his 35-year career, including appearing as Scooter Riley in The Obsession, a 1986 episode of T.J. Hooker, also starring William Shatner and James Darren. 
There's a uh, oh side. Uh, there's a side project I'm going to do someday, uh, which is a TJ Hooker show. But mm. uh, we'll see how that turns out. <laughs> Speaking of sidetracks, uh, check this out. <laughs> Gregory Wachowski was in an episode of the 1986 CBS series Outlaws, which was about five cowboys who are hit by lightning and transported from 1889 to 1986, where they start a detective agency. Oh, my God. <laughs> I cannot believe I've never heard of this show. And 1986 was a year that I was glued to the TV set. I loved Auto Man and Manimal and all these crap, weird uh, misfits of science, all these weird, crappy shows that only lasted for like 12 episodes. I'd never heard of Outlaws before. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, they should reboot that for sure. But let's get to what's really important. The box score for the game, the Logicians, of course, ended up beating the Niners 10-1, to uh, going up four in the first inning, scoring a single run throughout the second, third, and fourth innings, two runs in the sixth, one in the seventh, and of course the Niners had a small rally to score one run in the ninth, leading to a score of 10-1, to 14 hits to seven, and four unforced errors on the part of the Niners. The Deep Space Niners manager, Benjamin Sisko, got himself ejected by umpire Odo in the fifth inning, and the Logicians manager, Solok, was ejected by Odo in the ninth, a contentious game. And the rule that Odo quotes when ejecting Sisko about making contact with an umpire was the actual rule, Rule 406, subsection A, paragraph 4, in the Major League Baseball rulebook at the time the episode was filmed. Well, of course. They did their homework, yeah. Yeah. It's funny, though, that if you look at it now, though, the rule book has been revised. So a lot of the rules that they talk about, um, the hard slide into second, for instance, that's now illegal uh, after. Oh, my God. A, yeah. After a few major injuries, uh, one of whom was uh, with our hometown team. Uh, I don't know if you remember the player and whose name I can't remember now. What? He was on the he was on the twins. Yeah. His first he was a huge sensation in Japan. His first season here. He's like fourth game. He slid into second. And I guess in Japanese baseball, uh, they're a little more polite. <laughs> so like you slide and they're like, there you go. You got the base. But uh, whoever they were playing just, you know, just planted and the guy broke his leg. And that was the end of his season. <gasps> oh, my God. And pretty much his career. <laughs> uh, his name was Suyoshi Nishioka. R.I.P. R.I.P. Well, the guy's alive, but. <laughs> R.I.P. your leg. R.I.P. that leg. Uh, just a little housekeeping. Uh, we see Rom bat and throw left, of course, as mentioned, meaning I guess Rom is left-handed in-universe. I'm not sure. We'd have to go back and see some scenes of him fixing things. Maybe he's ambidextrous. Esri Dax says in the episode immediately before this, after image, that she's left-handed, but we see her bat and throw right in these episodes, so maybe she's still sorting her personalities out. Worf throws in. I feel like you have to you have to be ambidextrous if you're a trill. You like after enough uh, hosts, yeah, you'd think so. Yeah. So she's got... I do you do you um like vibe check on Esri? Yeah. I just I feel like I never like I never warmed up to her. Um. Well, you didn't have much time, uh, especially considering Me... like half of her episodes are her dealing with her relationship with Worf in the past and being like yeah. I'm not sure who I am. Um. I think that she's, you know, in that like last run of like eight episodes uh, that mm -hmm. make up the end of the series, I think that she makes some interesting moves and I think that she starts to get kind of cool. But that episode where mm -hmm. she's got the eraser gun and she's like trying to stop the Vulcan serial killer, that was that was dumb. <laughs> I just like when I started the episode, I was like <laughs> when she like walked on screen for the first time, I was like, drat. Oh, <laughs> the no. I was like, 
I want Chetzia. Yeah, Chetzia would have been would have been great. <laughs> Definitely ambidextrous. Uh, Worf throws. Speaking of Worf, Worf throws left, but bats right in the episode. And Michael Dorn is left-handed in real life. And this episode marks the only time on screen that the anthem of the United Federation of Planets is heard. Oh my god, I was trying to think of what song they were playing. Yeah, that was the anthem. And I'll actually, I'll drop a little bit of it in here uh, as we move on to talking about the episode itself. I don't know if you know, but Michael Piller, uh, the producer, writer, and co-creator of DS9, uh, is a huge, gigantic face- baseball fan, or at least he was. Uh, and he is originally responsible for bringing baseball into Star Trek uh, in uh, TNG. Um, the episode Evolution uh, features. That's the one where um, <laughs> that's the one where Wesley has the nanites that get out and, and cause havoc. Oh my god! Yeah, and the. Um, the actor uh, or, the, or the character of Stubbs, uh, who is the uh, sort of guest star in that episode, uh, has a lot of baseball metaphors. He talks about <laughs> how they'll get another turn at bat and this and that. And then he's like, hey, Wesley, you like baseball? And Wesley's like, yeah, my dad taught me baseball. And so they, they talk about baseball. And it's implied that it, it it's not a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so he brings baseball in immediately and then immediately kills it off as well by saying that it's, it's not really a thing. And then later on, of course, it's established in If Wishes Were Horses when we meet the uh, fake Buck Bokai on the station that uh, the last World Series game was 2042. So it's this almost like uh, chaotic sort of thing that Cisco has and that he loves this long, long dead sport. I feel like it can't. It can't be that niche, you know what I mean? If the Vulcans are like, yeah, why not? Let's play a game of ball. Unless literally Solok was like, here's what we are going to do. I almost think, though, that like Solok, like you were saying before, they pretend to not care about things but can get really, you know, into things. Solok might hate Cisco just enough to go, you know, in six months we're like due to put in at DS9. What if we all learned baseball and then we just like crushed him in his little <laughs> petty little team in a game and just humiliated him? I could see him doing that. Oh my God. Convince, convince his entire crew. Right. Like, or no, just no, no, order no, them to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Can you imagine? <laughs> God. So Iris even Bear wanted to rectify that by bringing baseball back. Of course, uh, Cisco, mm-hmm. thanks to Michael Piller, has a love of baseball. Uh, but they decided to really uh, pay homage to that in the episode. And baseball was actually a big part of working on Trek in that era. Uh, The staff would often go to games together. In fact, Michael Piller originally proposed the concept of DS9 to Iris Stephen Bear at a Dodgers game. There's an anecdote that I've heard uh, Bear tell before about how they're at a game and he's like, I got this crazy idea. It's like, you know, for like a station that just kind of stays put and they do this and that. And this, of course, is um, after Bear had left Trek, uh, I think at the end of season three, um, just because he just didn't enjoy working there very much. And he kind of convinced him to come back with this idea of uh, DS9. Wild. Yeah. So... If you worked on Star Trek, you know, in that in that time in the mid 90s or early 90s, you definitely had probably been to a work game. Uh, Michael Piller <laughs> probably took you out and yelled at you about something while they were eating peanuts and Cracker Jacks. 
Baseball has been described as a timeless game, and I think that might be true, but in a negative way, as many people find it too slow um, in this world of apps and, and TikToks and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, baseball, of course, dies in the Star Trek universe, and we might be right on track for that happening in 2042. Uh, baseball is not doing great right now. Right now, it's not doing great. All the games are canceled because of coronavirus. <laughs> but a recent Gallup poll showed last year that only 9% of people in the U.S. list baseball as their favorite sport. And that's the lowest that number's ever been since Gallup started asking people about baseball in 1937. And other recent statistics show that attendance is down in 19 of the 30 stadiums around the league. I mean, I'm not surprised <laughs> really like i don't like i don't watch sports at all and yeah. i think i could name i could name way more like football teams than i could name baseball teams i could name maybe three yeah. baseball teams yeah i mean the way that it works now uh, as you of course know is that it's all about you know making money it's all about commercialism and literally mm -hmm. commercials and what you can sell and i think that the nfl has Got that on lock, you know? There's only, yeah. what, 17, 18 games, so you can sell your cars or whatever it is. And then if you listen to a baseball game, it's like how many Schweigert ads are we going to hear uh, in every break and play. Uh, people complain about how slow the game is, and they've tried to change the rules and make it faster. But I think the real problem is every time anybody takes a pause, we got to throw to a Kemp's ad or, you know, or something like that. Like there yeah. are, if you try to listen to a game on the radio, there are so many ads. It's infuriating and you have to listen because I know, you know, we live in the twin cities. Um, the twins are my team and I can't watch their games because I don't have, it used to be, I didn't have cable. Now I don't have the digital package because local blackouts mean I can't watch the game. That's crazy. Yeah, so like, and I'm I consider myself to be a huge baseball fan, but I haven't mm -hmm. seen a game on TV in almost a decade, and I rarely go to games, uh, even though I live just you know a mile away from the stadium, because they're so expensive. Mm -hmm. I always told myself when I was younger and I was going to school here, I'm gonna grow up, I'm gonna get a job in a big building downtown because that's what you do, and then. You know, when there's like home games during the day uh, on my lunch break, or maybe I'll take like half a day in the afternoon and go and eat hot dogs and watch the game, right? Fast forward to me being an adult, I did work downtown for a long time, and the stadium was four blocks away, and I couldn't go because it's $35 for an upper deck seat. Yeah, I was going to, that was my, it's the next way thing too I was going to say. Is, yeah. Be like, yeah, it's too expensive to go. Yeah. So it's just, it's really frustrating for me, somebody who, you know, I grew up playing Sandlot games and um, mm -hmm. I rushed the mound one time. <laughs> oh my God. We used to play these Sandlot games and there's this one kid that I just hated and he was a prick. I mean, like he, he was worthy of hate, but he kept trying to brush me it's back. He was so luck. And then, yeah, he was my Solok. And then he almost hit me one time. And I was a pretty nice kid, uh, as mentioned before. But, uh, yeah, I just rushed the mound to take, take him out. Yeah. I got hit, I have a big scar on my forehead where I got hit in the bat, uh, head with a bat, uh, <laughs> a la uh, Rom hitting everybody in the head <laughs> with a bat uh, oh my God. when I was a kid. And it's, you know, it's not my fault because, like, right at the formative age for me, you know, when I was a kid, the twins, in the course of five years, won two world series so too bad i'm locked in like i have to be a baseball <laughs> fan for life at this point but you run into these things where you can't watch the game or it's so expensive to go to one and it's it's really frustrating 
Yeah, I was going to go to a baseball game before I left to stay in London for a year. And then I was trying to, the, it was, I was like, oh, it's like 40 bucks. I'm going to have to drive and have to pay to park. But all the food's going to cost so much. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't go. Yeah. And don't expect that to change like when the game comes back from coronavirus because they're going to be looking to make up you know, all that money they lost. So. Yeah, for real. So anyway, it's it's a question of, uh, if the game is a question of being about heart, uh, perhaps the game itself uh, in the 21st century here is starting to lose its way. But despite all that, uh, there are still a lot of people who uh, love it, take it very seriously. People get really weird about baseball. And that's one of the things that I really love about it. I don't consider myself to be particularly superstitious, um, but I do find myself following certain superstitions. Um I'm a, you know, former theater kid. So of course there's all these like superstitions that you can't do on the stage. And I think that translates well to baseball because there's a lot of things in baseball that are weird. Um, you know, the, the fact that like you can't, players will eat a certain meal before the game, like every game. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Justin Morneau, who was a former Twins player and MVP in 2006, he would eat the same meal every time uh, before a game, and this is not a good meal. He would go down to Jimmy John's and get like the same, like, get a turkey tom every time. <laughs> like, can you imagine 186 <laughs> games eating 186 <laughs> turkey toms? Uh, and that I don't even know about double headers. Oh my god, it's crazy! Yeah, who was that baseball player? It was a long time ago. Who was that baseball player who, um, he was like really dumb and like weird and he would wear red underneath his uniform and then a fire truck if fire if a fire truck went past he would rip his uniform his like baseball stuff off and like sprint after to like help the firefighters you know who i'm talking about <laughs> uh i can't say that i do like he would run like he would leave like the the field hang on hang on wait, wait it was on an episode of the dollop the rube what is it what el what el rube Waddell. Yeah, he um, <laughs> he was like, I, I don't remember what his bit was. He was like good somehow. And so they couldn't like nobody. They couldn't cut him right. because they were they, they'd be winning because he was on their team. But then he would just like sprint off the field if there's like a fire. <laughs> All the stuff anyway. <laughs> yeah, the game is I wish that they had had, uh, you know, movie cameras or whatever back in the uh, in the late 19th century, because. Uh, some of the some of the games are crazy. Uh, a lot of these guys were, I don't know, on laudanum or had tertiary syphilis or whatever. And this is all yeah. that they could really do. So you get a lot of crazy <laughs> stories about about these guys. And that's where those that's like that's the tradition that we're talking about. Like if you look at Trek and the fact that we're almost 55 years in here and people are still thinking about, you know, the original series and and Gene Roddenberry and all these ideas like it, baseball is is similar in a lot of ways. Um, you know, not changing your jock strap, you know, during a winning streak, you know, or, oh my God. or growing playoff beards or like not talking to the pitcher, like during a no hitter, not mm-hmm. even like talking about mm-hmm. the fact that, oh my God, well, this could be a no hitter. Like you don't, you don't do uh-huh. that. Rally hats. Mm-hmm. Like I want to see the Star Trek version of rally hats. Like what, what, what would that be? What's a rally hat? That's when you, um, when your team is down, usually late in the game, you're trying to get a rally going, you flip your hat inside out there's different ways to do it but usually you wear it inside out or you wear it with the bill sticking straight up like on on your head <laughs> and it's this idea of oh my God. it's this idea of like humiliating yourself like a little bit 
but that contributing yeah. to your your team succeeding. I just that's that's the part of baseball that I like, like the goofy traditions, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. just being part of something bigger than you, even if what you're part of is this dumb, slow game with a bunch of weird rules. <laughs> Which, by the way, it's fun though. It it is fun, and I have to say that that the DS nine players get that right away. They might not be physically gifted, but as uh, as you know, military personnel in a future bureaucracy, the first thing they do is dive in and learn all the rules, and they have them down. Oh yeah, memorize them. They're just quizzing each other at the replomat and like yeah. <laughs> I know, it's so cute. They're like they're all in. Oh yeah, immediately. They, they at this point and it also shows like how much they believe in Cisco as a commander. Like at this mm-hmm. point in the war, they're like okay, this guy wants to do a baseball game. We're going to do it. Like he he reopened the wormhole, he found the, the orb of prophecy and change or whatever. I I believe in this guy at this point. I know. I love seeing them like just like the, their trust in him and their like the way they operate like as a team outside of the like like military aspect like they're, they're not really making like tough decisions they're like playing baseball but they're still like they're memorizing all the rules they're talking about it like off the clock yeah everything yeah i was talking to david mack about kira and her relationship to cisco and i think he, mm-hmm. uh if, if this isn't attributed to him i apologize to whoever it's supposed to be but i remember him saying that for kira working with cisco is like you know working in uh jesus's carpenter shop I mean, but can you imagine being on Jesus's baseball team? <laughs> Kira's like, oh my god, I gotta hit, I gotta get a hit, and she does. She gets a hit. Uh, she gets a double in this one. I was trying to th- put this together, like in my mind, like if you had to pick from all of the characters, let's say you've got the Guardian of Forever, so time is not a problem. What would be your Star Trek baseball dream team? Ooh, um, wait, how many? Wait, how many people do you need to be on a baseball team? Uh, nine. I think, let's see. I think right off the bat, Jordy LaForge, uh, Kayla Detmer, Ooh. these are all out. They have a visual enhancement that um, gives them an unfair advantage. <laughs> if you have to keep your eye on the ball, they can do that. I think Spock and Burnham, like from Disco, uh-huh. like just like young, fresh, like angry. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's good. That's good. Uh, you mean like uh, Ethan Peck Spock? Yes. Okay. See, now I th- I thought that like Spock and Burnham are definitely physically capable and they're determined, but they're also at this early point in their career where another thing about baseball is like the mental discipline. And like I can see Burnham uh-huh. getting so inside her, her head. Like if you point out, oh, Burnham, you know, you're kind of like shifting your hips a little bit when you when you swing. I can see her totally obsessing over that and then just like, <laughs> just like going on a huge slump. Oh, she would definitely get mad. No, she would get mad. Yeah. But I feel like they both like like the chess thing. Like they're like thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're also like just all, they're ready to like punch some. Oh, so they yeah. can just hit the ball. Vicious competitors. It. Yeah. I'd want Tasha yeah. Yar. Oh my gosh. She'd be good. What is Saru allowed if he can if he can run 40 miles an hour? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Actually, I'd put Saru on the mound. <laughs> can you imagine? Like eight, oh my god. Eight foot pitcher slinging balls. At, yeah, yeah. That'd be the way to go. <laughs> Uh, and I'd want Worf, but I'd want season one Worf. I'd want like leap yeah. over the railing Worf, not this uh, you know later strategic officer DS Nine Worf. Yeah, I think Paris. Yeah, a little more relaxed. Yeah, I think Paris would have. Uh, he must know the game, right? Oh yeah, no, he'd be perfect. Yeah, he would know what's going on. Definitely uh, get Tom Paris in there. Um, who else? 
know, Sulu's like super athletic. I think Sulu would probably be a good yeah. good addition to the team. Um, Uhura maybe. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, like she's more like she's like more like she's calmer. She's like level headed. Yeah, league of their own energy. She'd be a good catcher. I think she'd be good at uh, at calls uh, and setting mm-hmm. up balls and strikes. Um, I mean, if it if it doesn't have to be personnel. Geez, I don't know. Like Flint was probably Ty Cobb or something like that in Earth's past. Oh my god! So <laughs> you could probably have him. Um, I think any of the Enterprise people, except Hoshi, not Hoshi, uh, would probably <laughs> be familiar enough still with baseball that they would, you know, just have a base level of competency that would be higher yeah. than our 24th century people. Uh, anybody Ooh, seven? Oh, seven and nine. Yeah, she would probably be great. Yeah. When she um, downloaded the the manual, anybody yeah. anybody from the thirty sevens would also kind of cheating, <laughs> but also probably get Noonan out there. He could probably crank one out. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah that's, I mean, we haven't done positions, but that's that's a pretty good team so far. Nog uh, is pretty good uh, at the game as well. Yeah, he is. I think he's the one that does the the flip off the back wall, right? No, I thought it was uh, Esri. With the gymnastic thing. Oh, that was that's right, that's right, yeah. Because her uh, former a fancy Dan host was yeah. She's a she's a fancy Dan. <laughs> Which, by the way, I, yeah, I'm sure that's a thing. But I, as a baseball fan, I I, I don't often hear a fancy Dan. <laughs> but I'll take your word for it, show. I'd be calling people fancy Dan left and right. <laughs> uh, I think you're a little too fancy Dan there. It's like what are you talking about? <laughs> Just putting my shoes on. Uh, and then, like, Data is just extremely physically capable, perhaps unfairly capable, but he can't even dance. So I'm not sure that, oh. like, he would quite get the baseball thing. He should be the umpire. That would be good. He'd be very impartial, uh, much like Odo. I love the fact that Odo's, you know, he's famously uh, nonplussed by a lot of stuff. But Cisco's tactic is like, well, I need the most impartial person I know. And he's like... Oh, thank you. <laughs> like, <laughs> He's like, oh, well, oh what a, what a yes. huge compliment. Yeah, yeah. I am very fair. Yes. <laughs> God, he's the best. He is. This episode is like, uh, you know, it, it's it's cute. Uh, and I don't t- tend to like cute things being a tough, strong man uh, like I am. But <laughs> but like I said, I just come back to that idea of of warmth and the fact that in the middle of this war, I love the fact that we can still get Lita in there. We can still bring mm-hmm. uh, bring Rom in there and uh, just see the connection that these characters have. And yeah, it's just like having just a playful episode. It's not the kind of thing that you'd expect after the doom and gloom of no. season six and what we're, what we're leading up to. Well, I feel like it also helps. I mean, like, um, like we kind of were saying earlier, it's like everybody in North America, you know, like you have like this base level knowledge of baseball. Yeah. And so I feel like you're watching Star Trek and like baseball feels like familiar. Like it feels like nostalgic, even if you're not a huge fan. Cause it's like, Oh, I played that like during recess when I was a kid or I played it in gym or like whatever. Yeah. Um, so it feels nostalgic, but like, um, like there's this, like, like a huge sense of community. Yeah. Because like you're watching that band together and you are like in it because it's baseball and they're the underdog. Like, yeah. It's so good. And it's that well of dramatic irony that Trek often goes to with historical episodes that works again mm-hmm. here. It's something like like the big goodbye when they go to the, the big goodbye in TNG and they're all fascinated by Tommy Dorsey and chewing gum. It's that thing where we're like, oh, OK, yeah, they're the fishes out of that are out of water. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we get that in spades here. But what I don't get <laughs> is how hollow suites work like if 
Picard, Data, and Crusher are walking around 30s San Francisco. Fine. But if you get 18 people <laughs> who are all running and jumping and grounding <laughs> balls and swinging, and they're in like this little room that we've seen, that, that seems like, how does that even work? Are there like extra large gymnasium-sized uh, hollow suites for big games like this? I've never really been super clear on the size yeah. of the holodeck. You know what I mean? It's yeah. kind of like, is it on a treadmill? Like, what? yeah, well, there's like, like the whole thing is yeah, like, there's force field treadmills, but there'd have to be 18 different treadmills that are or 19 with Odo all running, you know, in different directions. Uh, it just, I, I mean, Ooh, you're right. yeah, I've said before that like, forget space travel and warp drive. Like the, the technology that would make the holodeck work is the most fictional thing on this show. And then you have episodes like, what's the episode that the Nazi episode of, of Voyager where they like blow a hole in the side of the holodeck. So people are like coming in and out of the holodeck just from like deck corridors. And you see that. Oh, I don't remember. Uh, there's, yeah, you see that like. The, the holodeck apparently extends three decks up, even though it's only maybe like 50 yards by, you know, 20, mm-hmm. 25 yards. So it's mm-hmm. it's very confusing. And I know it's just a show. I should really just relax. But still, <laughs> like when you throw the it's, uh, it's puzzling. when you throw the ball, it must mm-hmm. you can feel it like it's real to you. But when you throw it to some like you try to hit the cutoff, man, it must just disappear because technically that person is only standing like three or four feet away from you. Uh, so then it must mm-hmm. just, must reappear like in the glove of the catcher. That's a good point. I have no, I didn't think about it this much. But, well, when I watched it, I was like, God, I wish that I had a hollow suite in my home. But I didn't think about like the ball would hit you. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If the ball even exists. Uh, and Julian Bashir should really be uh, the, the breakout standout player here. Like he should be the MVP, but he doesn't actually get um, that many licks in in the episode. No, I feel like I feel like it's too predictable that he'd be like, oh, he like, here I go and like be like good at, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like when he plays darts. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe he's uh, holding back a little bit, um, mm-hmm. which would be honorable of him. Um, you know, baseball, <laughs> baseball is hopefully not dying in our world, uh, is maybe is seeing a renaissance uh, thanks to people like Cisco and Cassidy in the world of the 24th century. And it might be working because I don't know if you remember, but in the Picard episode, Remembrance, we actually see an advertisement for the London Kings. That was Buck Bukai's team in the 21st century. We see that in, oh in the Boston scenes. I feel like it's not like, like there's not like a, if there aren't, there's not like official, like actual teams anymore, but it seems like, I, you know, it's like when we talk about baseball and Star Trek, it's like, Wesley being like, oh, yeah, I played with my dad. My dad taught me. And then in Deep Space Nine, it's like, oh, yeah, Jake and uh, Cisco play. Yeah. Like, And they have always played. And then it's like Nog and Rom. So I feel like it's, you know, it's still there. Yeah. Like pound for pound, Jake is probably the most talented human player in the galaxy. <laughs> like he's the only person. <laughs> he's the only person in the galaxy who has been raised like at, from a child yeah. to love and uh, and to appreciate baseball. So who knows if if they decide to restart the league, maybe he's got a future in that uh, as well as being a writer. Oh, absolutely. He so would. Uh, I would kill. I'm sure they've probably sold it at some point, but I'd kill to have the uh, the signed game ball. Oh, my God. I, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about that. And I was thinking about the jerseys. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, Niners jerseys. I've seen some of those in uh, in mm-hmm. the wild before. Yeah. Yeah. And the hats. But not like the ones, not like Jay Cisco, you know what I mean? Yeah, I bet you can get those hats. Uh maybe not the Ferengi size twenty five ones though. I'm sure those had to be custom, <laughs> custom made. <laughs> I like the scene where <laughs> I like the scene where Cassidy is uh giving Cisco uh batting advice. Uh <laughs> yeah. Which is which is great. Yeah, it takes him down a, a little peg. And then of course it gets him to he gets real frustrated and then gives us his his big story. About the wrestling match with Solak. Do you think it's weird that Jake was dressed like Tiger Woods the whole episode? I didn't notice. Oh <laughs> He's my God. got that red striped shirt. That's so and funny. The, the black hat on. Yeah. Um, just imagine that you're like a cadet and you're like out at the, like this, the cadet, the Starfleet cadet bar with like your buddies and you're drinking. <laughs> and then like in comes like the Vulcan squad and they're just like, oh yes, hello. We thought we'd look at how stupid you are. Just continue, continue <laughs> being stupid. We're just observing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like the best. And the bar, the bar is called the launch pad or something, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a, that's a real, uh, a real uh, port bar, harbor I bar. Yeah. Well, um, as we wrap up here, is there anything that you can think of that you haven't said about Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite? I just really like when um, when Cisco starts yelling at Odo and he goes, what were you, regenerating? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I totally forgot about that line and then I watched it and I like burst out loud. It's so funny. Yeah. I know that was a strike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Now that we reach the end of the episode, let's talk My Space Dad Can Beat Up Your Space Dad. Who's your favorite captain and why? And I really need to amend this to uh, Space Dad or Space Mom. Um, Captain Solo. I, I <laughs> watching, watching this episode, I was thinking about how much I love Cisco. Yeah. Because of like, just like... The way that he is and that time that Q came to the station and Cisco just sucker punched him. And then <laughs> yeah. Q was like, Picard never punched me. And Cisco was like, I'm not Picard. Not Picard. Like, yeah. that is the best. So I think today it's Cisco. Today. But that's a hard, that's a hard. Yeah, today. I feel that way a lot, too. I, you know, I used to say Kirk. I still do love Kirk. I think I'm probably yeah. shifting more towards being a Janeway guy now. But... Whatever I'm watching, it's that person. Like even like when I watch Enterprise, I'm like, yeah, you give it to him. You punch those guys, Scott Bakula. You're you're my guy. <laughs> well, now that we've reached the end of the show, and you've been on this podcast more than a few times, but never on a regular episode of the show. Uh, and of course, you've done a million episodes of Discoverage. So I'd be good with starting you off immediately at the rank of Lieutenant Commander. Uh, that's where your dad is. He's a Lieutenant Commander. Oh my god, I'm honored. Okay, so uh, we'll go with that. Uh, what department on the ship do you work in? Probably, probably science. I feel like science. Any particular field? I'm trying to remember what. When I was a kid, my dad put me in um, a like a short, a Star Trek short story, or was it the novella? And it was like, um, what did he say in my specialty? It was like Zeno. It was like something. I think it was like I think it was Zeno paleontology. Oh, okay, okay. So look, which is sick. Yeah, looking at the historical uh, animals, yeah. um, alien animals. Okay. Yeah, but I feel like I don't know how applicable that I want. I feel like I want something more. Like I want to be on the bridge. You know what I mean? Like what gets a science <laughs> officer on the bridge? Yeah, yeah. Um, probably being an ops officer, <laughs> or or, uh, <laughs> or at least being really good at sensors. 
I think that's so fascinating. I mean, I know that, you know, technically, if we ever find fossils on Mars, which we think we might have found um, microorganism fossils, but if we ever find that, it's fascinating that immediately a science will be born. I mean, it exists sort of conceptually right now, but right away, somebody's going to graduate from college, you know, being the first xenobiologist or xeno mm-hmm. paleontologist. And I think it's fascinating. And it really does like, it's a science that, you know, when you think about it, we don't know anything about dinosaurs. Like we just know we found some bones. Let's try to figure out, you know, what they were or what they did. Mm-hmm. And so you could apply that to any planet. You could just land, start digging and go, okay, I see. So the strata are like this and here's a, yeah. here's a fossil. But as the fact, you know, we've never left this planet, we technically have thousands of years of human history added to that science, but just like mm-hmm. landing on planet X and going, all right, here we go. Let's start figuring out what this planet's like. It's just, yeah, I would, I would love to do something like that. Everything could be named after you. Well, it's also like, um, like sometimes the military will like use like archaeologists to like, they're like, what happened? And then they're, then they're like, you know, oh, I'm, I'm hold on. I'm dusting. Like I'm, I'm, Using a makeup brush to push dust off of a, a rock. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or if you're Tom Cruise, you're just shooting things in a tomb and then things come out. Yeah. Everything <laughs> goes great. Well, Lieutenant Commander Pearson, thanks for joining me to talk about Star Trek and the Star Trek universe. If people want to continue the conversation, and they can at, at EISDPod on Twitter and the Enterprising Individuals Facebook page, where can people find you online? Um, Generations Geek is uh, generationsgeek.com and Generations Geek on Twitter and Instagram and wherever you listen to podcasts. That's great. And what's coming up on Generations Geek in the future? Um, I think we have one more London episode coming soon. And then um, I think that uh, me and my me and my dad were debating whether to um, finish up the we have this long running uh alien series going because i think i left for london in the middle of it okay um uh so we have uh i think one or two more of those to do and then yeah we just watched the hungry games the other day so hopefully that'll be soon as well yeah hopefully do you think just in your estimation that there will be more alien films um post what was it covenant was the last one yeah, I don't I don't know. Everyone hates those movies. Everyone hates Prometheus and Covenant so much. Yeah. Yeah. Um that uh I'm not sh- and for you know, for good reason. So I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised though if like give it a few more years and like maybe, but they'd have to do a different spin on it. I don't know. I mean, they gave freaking James Cameron like five Avatar sequels and which he you know so it's like what it's like more we're gonna what it's just gonna be colorful like yeah (laughs) so I don't yeah nobody I would not be surprised nobody gave him anything like he just has the money to say I'm doing five more of these and then when Fox was bought by Disney I guess Disney's like oh whatever just let him him do it (laughs) whatever go ahead we need we need a 3d you know franchise in the theaters so why not um yeah, but hopefully they'll uh, they'll turn it around or, you know, just stop. I think it's okay to stop. I th- yeah, I think it's okay, too. It's always an option. Well, thanks again mm-hmm. for being on the show. Thank you. And we're signing off until the next mission. Hailing frequencies closed. And I'm Caliban. And we're the hosts of the Sailor Noob Podcast. I'm the expert. And I'm the noob. You're talking into the wrong end of the microphone. 
Aye, aye. Okay. Every week we watch a new episode of Sailor Moon and learn about monsters, fashion, food, culture, and of course, the Sailor Warrior of Love and Justice, Sailor Moon. All right. Now, what is her rank? Is she an admiral or a rear admiral? Okay, shh, shh. The ad's almost over. We're a couple of magical people, and every week we moon prison power make up a new episode. Better amidships. Study as she goes. Please stop that. Sailor Noob is available every Friday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Shiver me timbers. Daddy.